Here in our text, we see that the Apostle Paul is dealing with some of the earlier Christians that's wanting to defect from the faith, and they're wanting to go back over into Judaism. This means they're wanting to leave the faith and go back to the law. And so Paul gives them a picture of the painful effects of leaving the faith, and he uses the nation of Israel as an allegory, and he reveals to them their end result in this passage of Scripture. My message isn't on Judaism or even the Galatians themselves, but it's on the example of Israel in the context uh, that Paul uses them in our text. Uh, and so therefore, we're going to do a case study of the history of Israel just for a little bit. Uh, this morning, there's a lot of questions going on about the end time, especially in, about what's taking place in the Middle East. And no doubt, we can see the signs of the end time are accelerating at a high, high speed. There is also questions about the nation of Israel, especially since this war that has broke out with Hamas. And who are the Hamas? They are actually the Islamic resistance and military organization governing the Gaza Strip of the Palestinian territories. The Palestinians live on what is known as the Gaza Strip, as we all know, which is a very narrow little piece of land. It's on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea that borders Israel to the, to the east and also to the north. The Gaza Strip is only 139 square miles. It is 25 miles long. It is 3.7 miles wide at its narrowest point, and it's uh, 75 miles wide at its, at its widest point. The Palestinians elected the Hamas to govern that piece of land known also as the Palestinian state. And the question is, why is all this violence and war and strife and hatred happening to this wonderful people called the nation of Israel? If Israel is God's chosen people, and they are, then why is God allowing this to happen? If God loves Israel, and he does, then why does it seem that the whole world hates them and that God's allowing them to go through painful persecutions all the time? The persecution of Hamas is nothing new for God's people. The attack that's upon them isn't on Israel as much as it is on the enemy trying to keep God's presence from entering into the covenant that he made with them from the very beginning, and he's trying to stop him, Israel, from connecting with their God. The enemy is trying to keep God's interventioning from happening. He's trying to stop God from intervening on the behalf of Israel. And you know why? Because the enemy is afraid of Israel. They do not want them to connect with the, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because if they do, they have seen what God has done on their behalf before. And they're afraid, so they're trying to keep Israel from being able to connect with their forefathers God. They're afraid of Israel because they're afraid that God will fulfill his original plan with his people. But their main reason also is to take over Jerusalem, which is considered God's holy city. They want to take control over Jerusalem, which inadvertently is a statement that they took over God's territory and that they have conquered God or they have destroyed God. That's what the picture the enemy would like to get out to the world. The word Hamas means in the Hebrew, violence. That's the name. And it also has a tie to it of corruption. The Hebrew word Hamas is used 68 times in the Bible itself. And the first place that this word is used is found in the book of Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. I'll read it to you. The earth is also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas, which means violence in our English language there. And God looked upon 
upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with Hamas, or violence, through them, and behold, I will destroy them with, destroy them with the earth, on the earth. Way before Israel ever existed, Hamas existed. And it is a very clear that the fate of those who practice with Hamas, the people that give over to that spirit will be destroyed. God has promised that. That's a prophetic word there in Genesis. And according to, everybody's asking all the time, where does Hamas originate? Where did they come from? First of all, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, the anointed cherubim that is referenced to Satan himself, it was Hamas that caused him to get cast out of heaven. The Bible says that his heart was lifted up with pride and all of a sudden Hamas entered into his heart. That is where it originated. So Hamas came from the root of Satan himself. Or am I painting you a picture here? It is no accident that the people that is coming against Israel, the Hamas, the Islamic extremists, are sent by Satan himself. I want you to understand, even as God has got a chosen people, he's got us, his children of God, Satan also has people that he's infiltrated and that he has influenced and that he is using to come against God's very elect. Those that kill and cut off babies' heads and torture and they tie people together. But you've seen all the horror stories just this week of what they're doing. I want to tell you, folks, that is from the devil himself. It is a spirit from hell that is attached to those people. That is not natural. What we are fighting with is not a Hamas people. It is a Hamas spirit that is from the pits of hell. It is a demonic spirit, and it's coming against God's people. They are demonic. They are used. And listen to the old tactics that they use. They use the old tactics even the devil uses. They send a bomb out out of Palestine. It blows up a hospital. What do they do? They accuse Israel for it. They accuse Israel of war crimes. And isn't that what the devil likes to do? He's a liar, a conniver, he's a deceiver, and he's an accuser of the brother, and he's trying to turn the world against Israel, and they're, t- and they're trying to form allies for themselves. So how do they do it? They lie upon the people of God. All of Israel is trying to do, all they're trying to do is to protect themselves and retaliate against the onslaught of evil against them. And yes, there will be some things that will happen that they can't help innocent people and and will be uh, hurt by this war. But I want to tell you, Israel is not the one that's picked the fight. Hamas has picked the fight and Israel will finish that fight. Help me preach right here, Lord. My, my, my. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. I'm wanting to chase rabbits and I got too much to preach so I can't. All Israel is trying to do is to protect themselves. So don't listen to the lies of the enemy. This explains the hostility that is shown toward God's people and even God himself. Why? Because Satan despises anything that that shows any kind of interest toward God's people and God himself. And Satan hates God. Can I have an amen? Satan despises anything that belongs to God, and he especially hates God himself. The word Hamas appears in Psalms where we see that prayers are lifted up for deliverance from violent men 
and they call them men of Hamas, men of violence. That word Hamas is used there. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 27 and 12. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witnesses, there's that false witness again. What's the tact of the enemy to lie on you? To destroy your influence, to destroy your testimony, to make you look like you don't know what you're talking about, to discredit God. That's what they're trying to do. Can I have an amen? And, and for, the, for false enemies are risen up against me and such as breathe out Hamas. And here they use the, uh, the, the English word cruelty, but in the Hebrew, it is the word Hamas. This is why the, the psalmist said that the habitations of Hamas come out of dark places of the earth. Listen to that. Listen to where they come. They come from the pit of darkness. Psalm 74 and 20. Have respect unto the covenant, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of Hamas. They're, they're full of the habitations of Hamas. People do not have a clue who they're linking to and who they are serving when they parade in our streets and protest against Israel and they're for Hamas and the Palestinian people who elected them. As a matter of fact, the psalmist made it clear in Psalms 11 and 5. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth Hamas his soul hateth. Now, did you hear what that said? And he not only called them wicked people, but he also said that whosoever loves them or support them, God's going to hate. Come on, somebody. When you start linking to these people, you know what you do? You make an enemy of God real fast. Those college kids that are so wrapped up in the present-day culture and driven by the spirit of this age, they have no idea who it is and what it is that they serve and how they're, they're instruments used for the dark domain of Satan while they're out there protesting against something they don't even know what they're protesting against. They don't have a clue of what spirits that they have linked themselves to, and they don't have a clue of why that they supposedly hate Israel the way they do. They don't even have a reason for doing it. It is because it is a spirit that has come into this age and it has influenced a young generation that's ignorant toward the word of God and who Israel stands for. And as a result of that, the spirit of Hamas has got in their heart and they have become violent people. Can I have an Amen. Now, I'm going to get blasted all over the country for this, but I don't care. It's because the devil is the driving force behind all of this, and he's trying to annihilate Israel from off the face of the earth. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to do what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. Thank God. I'm going to go ahead and read it. But Jesus came to give life and give it more abundantly. Can I have an amen? But the real question is, why does God allow this to happen? Why does it seem that Israel is always into conflict? Why is it? Because, number one, again, the devil hates light because he's dark, and light exposes him. In order to understand this, we have to go back and understand God's plan, provision, and promise for Israel. We have a Bible that contains 66 books. We know that. The first part of our Bible is called the Old Testament. The second part is called the New Testament. We all know that. The Old Testament is known as the First Covenant or the Old Covenant, and the New Testament is known as the Second Covenant or the New Covenant. So in the First Covenant, which consisted of the books of Genesis all the way to the book of Malachi, we find that there is a revelation hidden of the promise of the Messiah that is coming to the earth in many, many of the Old Testament stories. As a matter of fact, for example, in Genesis 22, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
Abraham took his son Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And you know this story, how that there was a, a ram caught in a thicket and he didn't have to do that. But this is a picture who, who would later offer up Jesus, where God would later, uh, later offer up Jesus upon that same mount, Mount Moriah in the New Covenant in Jerusalem. We also find in the Bible in Exodus 12 in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Passover lamb that was offered for redemption for the Hebrew people when they were coming out of Egypt's bondage. This too is a picture of Jesus in the New Covenant who would be crucified at the time of Passover for the redemption of the world and that Jesus would become our Passover lamb. We also find in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, in the Old Testament, there was the brass serpent that was hung on a pole, and when the people looked at it, they were healed of their plague, and they lived. And the, again, this is a picture of Jesus in the new covenant who would hang on the cross and provide healing for all of us as people. We also see in Numbers 19 a very unusual sacrifice called the red heifer sacrifice. And when you study this sacrifice, you will see also it is a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So we see in Genesis 22, we have the place that Jesus would be crucified, which was what? Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. In Exodus 12, we see the Passover lamb, and it would be, it would be, uh, it would give us the purpose for the sacrifice, which would be for redemption. In Numbers 21, it gives us the pattern in which he would die, he would hang on a pole, or he would hang on a cross and it would be in a form of judgment due to it being made of brass and he would take that judgment upon himself and it was, should have been our judgment. Then in Numbers 19, it gives us the very procedure through the red heifer sacrifice of what would happen at his death. So we have the place, we have the purpose, the pattern, and the procedure of what God wanted to do all along through the nation of Israel. And they are all revealed in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. The Torah was written by Moses when he was in the wilderness, and the Torah reveals that the Messiah was going to come to earth and what was actually going to happen. In the early chapter of the very first book of Genesis, we see a prophetic word concerning this in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt also bruise his heel. This, of course, was talking about Jesus being crucified and his heel being bruised by him squashing the head of our enemy and bruising our enemy. Can you say amen? Before chapter four of Genesis ever happens, we got a risen savior that's bruising the head of the serpent, the devil. Can I have an amen? In the very first book of the Bible, we already have a prophecy of the coming of Messiah who would come in power and have victory over the very enemy of the earth. However, the Old Testament prophets also prophesied how that that same Messiah would come to earth to rule and to reign. This Messiah wasn't just going to come to earth, but he also eventually would rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords upon the earth. The book of Jude verse 14 says, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of this saying, behold, the Lord come up with 10,000s of his saints. There's some key words there. Now I'm building a sermon, hang with me. Before we ever get out of the book of Genesis folks, and before 
before the flood ever even begins, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying when he comes, he's going to have tens of thousands of saints with him. Can you give the Lord praise of that? Hallelujah. It was David that said in Psalms 102, verse 16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, Jerusalem, that he shall appear in glory. Hallelujah. We also discover, as we read in Zechariah 14 and 4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. Zechariah also says in Zechariah 14 and 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, shall there be one Lord and his name one. So we see that the Lord is going to come in all of his glory his feet's going to stand upon the Mount of Olives. He's going to be rule and reign as kings of kings and lord of lords. He shall build up and establish Jerusalem, the city of our God, and with his saints he, we will be with him and he will be the lord of all the earth. That is the prophecies just in those handful that I gave to you. I gave you some of just the elite ones to let you understand how these prophets prophesied about the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We also see in the Old Testament prophecies of the events that have to take place before the Lord could come. The first thing that we see, Israel would have to become a nation. This was prophesied by Isaiah himself and it was prophesied by Jesus Christ himself. In Isaiah 66, 8 and 9, we don't have time to read it. You can read it when you get home. But Isaiah prophesied shall a nation be born in one day? Shall it be born at once? And he prophesies about how that Israel would become a nation in one day. And we also see in Matthew 24, 32, where Jesus is talking about the end time. It's the end time chapter. And then he begins to say, learn a parable of the fig tree, which is Israel. We know that because the Old Testament says that Israel's the fig tree. And he says, when she's tender and when, she, when she's yet tender and when she put forth her leaves, when she buds, when she becomes a nation, keep an eye on her. He said, because this generation that's seen that happen will not pass until all things be fulfilled. So he's saying Israel has to become a nation before the second part of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see that when Israel would become a nation, that it was prophesied in Isaiah 27 and 6 and in Isaiah 35 and 1 that the land would blossom with all kinds of fruit. Isaiah also prophesied in Isaiah 11, 11 and 12 that the Jewish people who had been scattered from the four corners of the earth to the four corners of the earth would all begin to return back to Jerusalem. That's happening even as we speak. It was also prophesied that Jerusalem would be a controversy in all of the earth in Zechariah 12, verse 2 and 3. That's happening even as I speak. Ezekiel 38 and 39 reveals that the enemies of Israel will try to destroy her in a war called Gog and Magog. And Zechariah 12, verse 4 through 10 reveals that the Messiah's return will come to do nothing more than save Israel from the destruction of this war. So according to the Old Testament prophecies, these six things would have to happen before the Lord would come to rule and to reign on the earth. Now I want you to look at this in the perspective of a Jew and the, and the perspective uh, of the, the nation of Israel. Now here is what we have to understand. The main prophecies or revelations given in the Old Testament were given to the Jewish people and it was given on what was called the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus rules and reigns on the 
earth in Israel as king of kings and lord of lords. The people of Israel believes in this, and they believe it's going to happen to this very day. They still believe that Jesus is coming again. They believe that their Messiah is going to come. The problem is they believe he's going to come, but they have not recognized that he has already come before. That's their problem. They have they did not recognize his first coming. The Bible tells us in John 1 and 11 that when Jesus came, he came into his own, the Jewish people, but they received him not. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They didn't recognize him as Messiah. Some called him a prophet. Some called him a good name. It was Peter when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Elias. He's talking about the Jewish people. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good man. Yeah, but Peter, who do you say I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood do not reveal that in you, but my father, which is in heaven's revealed that to you. Can I have an amen? Oh, how, <laughs> Woo, how many believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? Hallelujah. Yes. The problem of it is the Jews knew through prophecy 1,500 years before Jesus was ever born that the Messiah would appear on earth to redeem his people and to build up Jerusalem. That was prophecy. They knew, they still believe that that's going to happen. What the Jews did not understand was the Messiah appearing for the church, which was not prophesied in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, and it was hidden from the Jews. And matter of fact, the Old Testament prophecies mainly prophesied to Israel, to the Jew, about the city of Jerusalem, but not about the church. It was always prophesying about the second coming of Christ's second part and not his first part. So when Christ appeared, he did not fit the description of their prophecies as they seen them, though they ignored scriptural evidences. They ignored prophecies concerning his birth, his death, his resurrection. They ignored prophecies concerning his betrayal. Come on, they're all through the book of Psalms. It talked about he would be betrayed with 30 pieces. It talked about where he would be uh, actually birthed in the city of Bethlehem. It, it gives you all kinds of prophecies. Their focus was on the prophecies of the second coming and not his first. For example, when Jesus came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, he did not fit the prophecies of the second coming, the second part. He wasn't ruling and reigning as a king of kings and lord of lords. He was a baby. He wasn't appearing on the Mount of Olives with ten thousands of his saints. The Jewish people had not been gathered from the four corners of the earth when Jesus came back the first time. Come on. Israel had not become a nation birthed yet in one day when he came. The nation of Israel had not blossomed with fruit at that particular time. None of those prophecies were fulfilled. And can I tell you, every one of them were fulfilled now. Almost every one of them. We could go on and on, but the Jews... Je we could go on on, but to the Jews, Jesus did not fit the Old Testament prophecies concerning that first coming. They thought that he would appear as king of kings and free them from Roman rule and establish and rebuild Jerusalem. Their focus was more on his second coming because what we call the church age was hidden from them in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, it was revealed to a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, it was Paul that said that God revealed to him these mysteries. 
Listen to what it says in Romans 16, 25. Now, to him, I'm going to go slow here so you can catch it. I was going to put a visual all together, but Brother Steve is really needing our prayers. He's in home with a foot with diabetes, not doing real well. And so I didn't have time to do the graphs because I wanted to do that when I do these kinds of sermons. But it says in verse 25, Now, to him that is of, the, uh, is of power to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Paul right there tells you what the mystery is. The mystery that was kept secret since the world began was the mystery of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under the, our glory. Matter of fact, we could go and dissect. You can tell where even Israel can't understand the gospel because it's a mystery to them. It's been hidden from them. You, do you understand what I'm saying? The things he spoke, Paul, was the revelation of the mystery. And what was it that Paul spoke? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you give him praise? Amen. Ephesians 1 and 9 says, amen. Ephesians 1 and 9 says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now listen, this is why I'm gonna paraphrase it. God has purposed it in himself to reveal to you and I the mystery of his will. And the mystery of his will is that he'd have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 and 9 says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ, that Jesus being Lord would be one of the things that would be the mystery of this age. First Colossians 1 and 27 says, to them who willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, he says, God is now willing to make known this mystery to all men. And that mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's talking about salvation in Jesus Christ. So that is the mystery. The mystery is the Gentile church of Jesus Christ. The mystery of the church world was revealed to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected their Messiah. Therefore, what God desired to do through the nation of Israel making them a nation of priests to perpetuate the gospel around the world. That's what he wanted Israel to do. He now has rejected them because of their unbelief, and he has revealed himself to a Gentile church, and the Gentile church was established when Peter went down to Cornelius' household, and he preached after God had given him a vision, and he preached to the Gentiles, and they received Christ as Lord, and it was at that moment that God says, don't call common what I have said cleanse. God cleansed and made him a church, a bride out of a Gentile nation. That includes you and I. You and I are saved as a result of that message being being preached to us by a first established by a man by the apostle Peter. Can you give God praise that we Gentiles are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Amen. Am I making sense? 
Hang with me. I, I got a long way to go. We see the church's birth was hidden to the Jew, and they could not comprehend the Gentiles being grafted into the Jewish faith. They couldn't understand it. You can read that in Ephesians 3, verse 10 through 12. We also see that the Gentiles' blessings of redemption was hidden from the Jews as well. We see that in Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That Bible just literally told me that the promises and the covenant that God made with Abraham and the blessings that he promised Abraham have come upon me. And they've come upon you. Can we have an amen? We also see that the catching away of the bride of Christ, the church, the believer, is a mystery hidden from the Jew as well. As a matter of fact, they simply could not identify or understand the church age, which is also known as the dispensation of grace. It's the dispensation that you and I live in right now. And they could not understand this thing about the first part of the, the second coming's in two parts. It's one coming, but it's in two parts. The first time, he just hovers in the sky. He doesn't touch the earth. But the second time, his foot is planted on, on the Mount of Olives. That constitutes the second coming. It's like a ball game. A ball game's not finished until all nine innings is played. And I'm here to tell you, folks, even though the rapture's about to happen, which was a mystery to the Jew, it is not the end. It's just the beginning of the ball game. The ninth inning won't happen until Jesus comes down and puts his foot upon the Mount of Olives, and that thing split in half, and that little sealed-up wall there on the eastern side of Jerusalem is busted open, and he rides in on a white step as king of kings and lord of lords and he establishes his thousand year millennial kingdom and he reigns with a rule of iron and peace shall come to the land. Oh, hallelujah. Well, glory. I'm about to preach myself happy. I don't know about you. Well, glory. Woo. Now I'm about to chase the rabbit again. I've got to get my sniffer off of that. Hallelujah. Man, there's a lot of, oh, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Help me stay on tack here. Woo! Ha. It's hard to move on when these thoughts are coming to you. Woo, that's good stuff. First Corinthians 15, verse 51, listen to what, said, what Paul said. Behold, I show you what? A mystery. He's talking to the Jews. Behold, I show you a mystery. He's talking to the church, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trump's going to sound the dead and shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And mortality shall put on immortality, and corruption shall put on incorruption. And when mortality has put on mortality, and when corruption has put on incorruption, then shall be brought to pass the sin. Oh, death, where's thy victory? Oh, grave, where's thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the mystery to a Jew. They don't even know what he's talking about. They don't even know the dispensation of the church. And now he's talking about resurrecting these people. Don't fit into the plan of the second coming that they know about. That's why there's so much mixed up people when it comes to about the rapture of the church. Is it pre-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it in-trib? When is it going to happen? It's pre-trib. 
I, that, I said it's pre-trib. And the reason they're so goofed up about it is because they're like the Jew. They only focus on the end time parts prophecy concerning that event. That's why the, the apostle Paul said concerning the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning what you sleep. And then you know that's the rest of that chapter. It's about the second coming. I'm not going to quote it. But it's about the second coming of Christ coming after the church and they're raised from the dead with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and so on. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. He doesn't want us to be ignorant like the Jew of the first part of the second coming of Christ known as the rapture. We're going to be raptured out here very, very soon. You better get your rapture clothes ready. I'm telling you, look at Israel. We're right there, honey. I don't know where this war is going to take us. I don't know if it's a prelude or I don't know if it's going to turn in to the full-blown battle of Gog and Magog. I don't know. We're keeping our eye up on it. It's not quite lined up perfectly yet because Russia is still not took over Ukraine and Turkey's not quite got there yet and there's just some shifting going on, but it's got the earmarks of everything else. And whether it turns to that, I don't know. But there's one thing I know. It may just be a forerunner, but you better look up because your redemption's about to draw nigh. The Lord's about to split the eastern sky. The trump of God's about to happen. We're fixing to lose our gravity. God's about to call us home. Well, glory. If that don't make you happy, you need to get saved. Hallelujah. That's why the Lord said in Matthew 24, 42, be you ready and watch and pray for you need to know the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. He's going to come as fast as lightning is to the east to the west. There'll be two in the field, one taken and one left. Two lying in bed, one taken, one left. Oh, hallelujah. I hope he don't say, well, there's going to be uh, a thousand gathered at the palace that day and 500 go and 500 left. No, let's all go. Can I have an Amen. Now, one of the things we have to understand is that whatever happens to Israel in the natural is always happening to the church in the spiritual. It's our, it's our radar. The church in America itself, not just the church, but America itself, has always followed Israel's pattern. We're even built upon what we call the Judeo-Christian values. We're linked to Israel whether we know it or not. Israel as a whole is agnostic. They're full of unbelief. And this is what has caused them to be rejected. Let's go to our text so that we can make some sense of why I read it. Why do you desire to go into the law, Paul says? Do you not hear what the law says? Why would you want to go back to that? He's asking the Jews, why have you rejected grace through Jesus Christ? Why do you want to go back to the old system? He said, you're not born from the bondwoman, Agar, or it's really Hagar. He said, you are not born as the seed of flesh, but you're born as the people of covenant. He said, you are born from the free woman, Sarah, Abraham's wife, and you are the seed of promise. So why do you want to go back to the law? Listen to what he says in verse 24 through 26 which things are an allegory. Now, he's telling you what he just said is an allegory to you and I. He's using it as a subject matter. Everybody with me? So he's saying, what I'm about to say to you is used as an allegory that those of us that's reading it in this dispensation might understand 
Israel as an example to follow, not to follow their pattern because their pattern led them a wrong way. And he's telling us don't follow that way. He says, which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which is gendered to bondage, which is Hagar. I wished I had time. I was going to put it in the sermon. I didn't have time. If you've seen the similarities of what happened when Moses went up to that mountain to get them Ten Commandments on, on, that, on Mount Sinai, if you could have seen that pattern and then go to First Thessalonians chapter 4 and see the pattern of the, of the rapture of the church, it's spooky. It's unbelievable. And then watch this. It says, these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which is gendered towards bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now watch. He's saying if you are a part of the natural Jerusalem, then you're still under the old covenant. And you are still like Hagar's child of the flesh. You're subject to the law and you remain in bondage to this very day. He's telling the children of Israel, you're not a free people like I wanted. He's telling them, you're not a saved people. You're in bondage to this very day because of your choices. But if you'll be a part of the spiritual Jerusalem, he says, under the new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, then you're a part of the new Jerusalem that is from above and you are free who's, who's the mother of us all. The messianic system that we operate under now is the kingdom of God. It's the dispensation of grace only found through Jesus Christ, folks. But Israel has rejected that system. Everything that has happened in Israel today is not God's perfect will. He had a different plan. He had a different purpose for Israel. Everybody's saying, well, why is this happening to Israel? If God loves them, why is this happening? Israel chose it on themselves. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, he reapeth. If he soweth to the flesh, he shall reap of the flesh corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. We got to choose of which side we're going to sow in. Israel chose to see, sow the seeds of flesh and they're paying for it dearly right now. But now we see that Israel, that God's permissive will is happening that he might spur according to Paul's teaching, I ain't gonna go into all that, spur Israel to jealousy by the Gentile church that they might be saved. In other words, when they look over here and see how we're blessed, how God's moving among us, how God's touching among us with signs, wonders, miracles, and we're living in a good country and all throughout the land, then it spurs Israel to jealousy. As surely as, as surely has Israel, if Israel can miss the first coming, then we also, if we're not careful, we can follow the pattern, that of Israel, like most of us do, and we'll miss the second coming of Christ. This is what's got in my spirit today. Every time, it, you know, whatever's happening to Israel in the natural, it's just happening to the church in the spiritual. Hamas that is coming after Israel in a, what we call a physical way through human blood and human bodies, a people called Hamas, is an indicator, it's a radar, it's a template, if you please, of what the atmosphere is like over the church in a spiritual sense. 
and that, that we have spiritual Hamas's that's beginning to rise up in these last days on the church. We're in the fight for our lives right now. That's why Paul said in the last days, perilous times would come. And he gives you a list of seducers and deceivers and doctrines of devils and, 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 all, and all of these different horrendous things that we as a church are going to have to fight, face that some of the early church never even faced because it's the end time. It's one of warfare. The spiritual Hamas is on the attack. Violence, corruption is coming against the church. The enemy is coming in like a flood because the devil knows he don't have much time left. And Jesus even asked, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? It's going to get pretty rough. Come on, I'm preaching truth. Everybody's saying, well, man, this ain't uplifting. It will be if you hang on. We are facing perilous, dangerous, hard, difficult times ahead of us. That's truth. We can sugarcoat it, paint it, we can talk about the great revival that's coming, which is, but right in the middle of great revival is great persecution, great trial, great temptation, seduction and deceiving and lying wonders and all that's going to happen. The Bible tells us it is. The question is, are we going to be like natural Israel and be in the, and get in the spirit of unbelief because of all the hardship? Are we going to crumble or are we going to be of the free woman and be the children of promise and operate in faith? Are we going to detect from the faith or are we going to say no? We're going to endure hardness as a good soldier. Come on. We're going to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the love of God because we have the promise that he would never leave us nor would he ever forsake us. And we're made more than conquerors through him that gave his life for us. Come on, somebody. Help me preach right here. Amen. Are we going to follow the pattern of Israel? Are we going to follow the purpose, the pattern, the procedure of the system of the kingdom of God? As I said, not only has the church always followed the pattern of Israel, but so has America. America in the flesh is following the pattern of Israel. I'm going to make a statement, and I'm not meaning this in a political way, but it is political because it's just what's happened to our nation. We have a bunch of thieving liars at the White House and in politics on both sides. But I want to tell you, there is one side, if you'll get on their platform, they are demonic. They're hostile. They're violent. They push violence. Get mad if you want, but America as a whole, if you are not sheltered by the blood of Jesus, natural men are caving into the system and they're blinded and they can't see because they're seduced. Good men, good women, moral men, moral women are caving into the ideologies of the doctrines of this world. Come on now. America as a whole and the natural is falling out of Israel. And what Israel is facing right now, we will too if we don't change it. When Israel was hot, she was hot. When she was cold, she was cold. Does that describe some of your wives? Boy, I'm meddling now, ain't I? Maybe it's because of your actions. 
Amen. Now I'm really middling. Israel's history has been like a yo-yo, up and down, in and out, hot and cold, faith and doubt. One minute she is the prophetic stream of God. and The next minute she's serving idolatry. God would say, oh, when they're hot, he's just blessing the fire out of them. Because of the blessing, they couldn't take it. And they'd start running after these strange gods. And then God said, well, I'll have to prepare the Chaldeans to go over and teach them a lesson. I'll have to prepare the Philistines to prepare them to go over and teach them a lesson. And don't think America is not too good to get paid a lesson. There's just a thing called China and Russia biting at the bitch to try to come over and teach us a lesson. What happens to the church? And what's going to happen to America in these last days is all contingent upon how we, the church, believes and how much we'll live out our faith and how much that we'll spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our only hope. A politician ain't going to turn this thing around. It's going to take a divine awakening. It's going to take the church to rise up. The natural branch, which was Israel, which is mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians by Paul, has been rejected. It's being cut off. Paul said, and because of it being cut off from the commonwealth of God's blessing, he says in Romans eleven twenty five that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. In other words, God is saying that as a whole, Israel is blinded to the faith in Jesus Christ. There's a part. There's still a part of them where they call Messianic Jews over there, but there are very few in between. As a whole, the nation is agnostic. And as a result of that, that's why they're fighting that if they would give themselves over to Christ, God would heal their land and God would bless their lands. He would shield them. He would put a seal of protection around them. That's what he desires to do. But now listen, the devil can play with Israel all they want and they can do whatever they want, but there's a prophetic promise by Paul in this passage of scripture. He said, Israel's gonna be blind up until the point that the Gentiles be taken out of the way. We're probably not seeing much change in the area of revival in Israel. See a few saved in part, but as a whole, Israel's not going. We're not going to see that while we're here on Earth. Why? They're going to remain the same. They're going to remain mainly blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've already rejected him. They don't. They don't accept him as Messiah. So what is that saying? That the here in a little bit, we're going to be taken out of the way. The church is going to be raptured. And God ain't done with Israel yet. The very thing he chose her to do, he's going to bring it to pass right in the face of the adversary. Hamas can put up all the fight they want, but a Hamas better hunt a hole because they're in trouble. The second coming of Christ cannot come until the fullness of the Gentiles are gathered in. So this means Israel cannot rise to her calling and her full potential until the church be taken out of the way. Can I have an amen? So when this happens, the tribulation begins. When we're gone, 
The tribulation begins, which is nothing more than a corrective rod to Israel. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time of what it's called Israel's trouble. The, and it's not really the wrath of God on them as much as it is. It's on the wrath of God that's been picking up upon the people that's been picking upon them. The church is not appointed under wrath or judgment. We've already been judged at Calvary through justification of faith. Listen to me. In Obadiah chapter 10 and Joel 319, I'm about to close. These verses deal specifically with the Hamas and the violence that is perpetrated by Edom. We know who Edom is. It's another name for Esau, which is the ancestor of the Arabs. That is against his brother Jacob, who happened to be Israel. So therefore, according to Obadiah, the children of Edom, listen to what he says, shall be cut off forever because of their violence of Hamas, which is against their brother Jacob of Israel. In other words, a prophecy by Obadiah says, you will see a day coming when Hamas that has come from the spirit uh, uh, through the lineage of Esau, that worldly man, that carnal man, that same brother that brought the spirit of violence, he says, when you see Hamas rise up against Israel, there will come a day that the Lord himself will rise up and stand against them. Listen to what Joel says. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence of Hamas that was against the children of Israel and because they shed innocent blood. In other words, God's saying there'll come a time you'll see Hamas that seems to be in power. What's going to happen? They're going to become desolate. God's going to put an end to them. And listen to what it says in the Torah in Deuteronomy 25 verse 19. He's going to blot out the remembrance of Amalek, the grandson of Esau, from under heaven. Eventually, Israel's prayers for deliverance from Hamas will be answered just like that. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 16 and 18, Hamas shall no more be, heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. <laughs> When the, this happens, Paul's prophecy of Israel will come to pass that he made in Romans eleven twenty six. All of Israel shall be saved. In the middle of that tribulation, there's going to be a thing called, I mean, I'm, I'm going after this. There'll be a thing called the desolation of abominations. It's when Satan goes to the temple and sets himself up to be God. Israel's going to see that they made a mistake. All hell's going to break loose against Israel at that time. There's going to be a great battle of Armageddon that'll be formed, that'll come up against Israel. God will wipe out those forces, and then Jesus is going to split the, split the sky, riding on horses with 10,000 saints, coming to the second part of the second coming. And when he comes down, he's going to rule with a rod of iron, and guess what's going to happen? No more will there be any more Hamas in the land. No more will there be wasting upon the land. No more will there be destruction. No more will there be murder. No more will there be torture. No more will there be any of those effects. Why? Because Jesus will reign upon the land. And the gates, the gates shall be called praise. And thy walls shall be called salvation. That's what's going to happen to Israel. 
And let me tell you, folks, that makes me happy because what God is saying to me right now, that if I'll follow the pattern that God has set before the church, the, if, if Israel would have followed the pattern that God had set before them, they would never be going through the things that they're going through with right now. Hamas may come in in a spiritual way, maybe even a physical way in America because there's several hundreds of them over here right now and they're planning and they're scheming and you'll see them pop up somewhere in this nation. It may be Popper Bluff, it may be St. Louis, it may be uh, Los Angeles, it may be New York, who knows. But all I know is this, when they pop up, all I know, I got a promise by my Heavenly Father, if I'll be obedient to the faith and I not cave in and I don't become fearful and I don't fall apart and abandon my faith, I can stand tall because he's going to stand alongside of me. Desolation shall not come near me and I want to tell you, I am not a child of bondage. I am born of the free woman, Jerusalem from above. My walls are salvation and my gates are praise. Would you stand with me, please? I'm about to check out and I know it. And I don't have to leave my front door, my, my key at the desk. <laughs> when I go, there's just going to be a ball of old clothes here. And some here between there, I'm going to be robed in a white robe. I'm going to be glorified in a glorified body. I'm going to be taken care of. The trump of God's about to sound. And Jesus is about to come back again. I refuse to get entangled with the affairs of this world. I refuse to get downhearted. I refuse to get fearful. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound man. I'm a winner. You're a winner in Christ. Everybody don't understand. What, <laughs> why is Israel going through that? If we let down our hedge, Ecclesiastic says the serpent's going to bite us. And what happens when you're bitten by a serpent? He injects poison that blurs vision. And what else does it do? It causes stumbling of walk. It causes you to see things, believe things in a different way than God's way. We cannot afford at the closing dispensation of this age to be like Israel and get cold and indifferent and lukewarm. If we get cold and indifferent and lukewarm, he'll spew us out of his mouth. I'm no dummy. Hamas is here. I feel it. I don't know. I've been telling the people at our prayer time, I'm uneasy. I'm uneasy. Does that make me fearful? No, it just makes me build a wall of covering to protect, to prepare I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. But it really don't matter because I'm going to remain faithful. If I remain faithful, I'm his. He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you. But there's no hope if we cave in and quit. During the millennial reign, you know what the Israelites are going to do? 
Why didn't we accept him the first time? We could have missed all that misery. Oh, there'll always be trial and temptation. But as a whole, that's to the extreme, folks. And it's because of their actions. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Draw your line in the sand and say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No question. No compromise. Don't want to hear anything else. This is the way it's going to be. And when the enemy comes in and starts saying, you're on the losing side, I want to take you out. Things start happening to your family that you don't understand and you don't seem like God's moving. Quit questioning God. Hope in God and just believe he'll take care of you. He's going to take care of his children. If you're here this morning and you're just uneasy about the times, I would probably say welcome home because most of us are. There's anxieties. There's fear. There's concern. There's times I look and I say, oh my, no older than I am. Look how the enemy has accelerated. Who would have ever believed that we would have to fight the influences of trying to get our little boys to become girls and our little girls to become boys? And it's even done throughout the public schools in a lot of places. Who would ever believe that our children could go to a doctor and have a sex change without the permission of their parents, without them even knowing it? Putting them on hormones way early and not even letting the parents know about it. Messing their little minds up, messing their bodies up. And many of them that have after have done that are now wanting to reverse it and they can't and they cry and say, oh, I messed up, but it's too late. We're living in a demonic world, folks. It is demonic. It's demonic for a woman to want to be turned into a, a man. It's demonic for a man to be want to turn into a woman. I said it's demonic. Everybody says, well, it's mental health. Some of it is mental health, but some of that mental health is caused by the deterioration of the mind due to the fact of the influence of the demonic nature. It is from Hamas. It is an evil spirit. It is a spirit from hell. It, it, it's, a, it's a demonic spirit to just let your walls down of your nation and not have vetting to where you can just let your very enemy come in and be Trojan horses right in your own country. Come on, folks. This is where we're at. That's demonic. Oh, I could go on and on. I feel like I'm losing you as a congregation and I don't want you to get mad at me. But I'm telling you truth. Hold to the faith. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Don't compromise. Hang on to your integrity. Hang on to virtue. Hang on to faith. Hang on to those beautiful elements of the Christian character of love and peace and joy, the fruits of the Spirit, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Hang on to them. When the world wants you to hate, when the world wants you to fight, when the world don't want peace, be 
a peacemaker. Love, forgive. It's going to be a big battle for us, but we got to stay under the guidelines of the system of the kingdom of God. We can't hate. We got to love. This morning, I don't have necessarily an altar call for you, but if you're uneasy and you just feel like, man, I just need to renew my faith, I want you to come up here. We're going to pray for you. If there's just things troubling you and it's just, things are rough. I understand. When we see what's going on in the Middle East and we see what's going on in our own country, when we see what's going on in our own politics, both sides, man, just to become corrupt. When a, when a person can go in to an office making $130,000 a year, come out 20, 30 years later with $60 billion in the bank account, something's wrong. Amen. Come on, I need some people to help me pray for these beautiful young ladies right here. Is there anybody else? Come on, honey, it's okay. You can come up here. I'm not going to hold much longer because I know that many of you are going to have to dissect this message. Go home and seek the Lord. And you're more than welcome to come up here and we'll pray with you and we'll be with you and we'll pray until you get answers. But we love you. Jesus is coming soon. And if you believe that, can you close this thing out with a shout to the Lord? Huh. Yes. God bless you. We love you this morning.